0: All right. I've got my story. Okay. I've got my beer. I've got my mask on to hide the fact that I'm cripplingly depressed. Ha. <laughs> Winter.
1: everyone and welcome to episode 95 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind.
0: And I am Kayla Moria.
1: And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I am tired. <laughs> you sound a lot happier. You're Kayla. Kayla Moria <laughs> was so. much happier this week
0: than it was last <laughs> week though. No, it's, it's not that I'm not happy. It's that... I had the twins here last weekend. Okay. And I love any chance to spend with my man, Zayden. They are adorable. They are the cutest twins in the world. I am a very lucky auntie. My house was chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're of the age of chaos. They, that's just, that's that toddler life, you know? Yeah. Like, late toddlers, they're four. Yeah, I don't know how your your
1: sister deals Is with it. Is that still
0: it. a toddler? For? Uh, I'm going to call it a toddler. And we'll go with it. Yeah. Anyway, so we, it was Christmas City of the North Parade. Yes, it was very cold. It was very stupid. Very cold, but it was fun. fun. And by fun, <laughs> I mean that I don't love Christmas, but I love marching bands. So that was cool. Ah. And, you know, it was just, it was cool to watch the twins get super into it. I didn't realize that the Christmas City of the North Parade, because it's been years since I've been there, mm-hmm. that they threw candy they do they're not supposed to throw the candy they're supposed to pass it out some people threw candy <gasps> some people handed out candy it's fine it was cute mayo was 100% into all of her candy which my my sister conveniently left all of at my house
1: interesting
0: i wonder how I that i wonder how happens. that happens couldn't have possibly forgotten it uh and then the next day we went to Bentleyville, Which is, it was nicer out, and it's gorgeous. If you live in the Twin Ports, even if you're not a big fan of Christmas, you can't deny that pretty, pretty Christmas lights and free marshmallows to roast on a fire. And hot chocolate. And hot chocolate, yeah. It's all amazing. So I had a November Christmassy weekend. It was beautiful, fun, amazing, and I'm tired. I mean, that all sounds exhausting. But it was great. I do not regret
1: a single moment. How are you? Well, I was in the Christmas City of the North Parade, and it was
0: awful. It was so cold. <laughs> well, you can, like we parades. could walk around to keep our feet warm. You couldn't walk around. You were stuck. Well, I was walking in the parade, so but I like, walked. You had to walk that pace of the parade, which was so slow. It
1: was. We went by pretty fast. Okay. Um, I was the Wrangler. As I was last year. I <laughs> wrangled the children. I wrangled the adults. I said, I shouted to my group of people, come on, guys. We got to tighten up. We got to get together. And I was just the bossy person who was trying to keep us all together. Everyone else was like, ah. And I was like, no. We to Call do Brittany this a jeep
0: because she's a wrangler.
1: <laughs> um. Also, Hillary had her baby on Sunday.
0: Oh, congratulations. Wait, does Hillary listen?
1: No. Oh, well, I don't care anyway.
0: Congratulations, Hillary. That's so cute. Yes.
1: So uh, little baby, little baby Hillary, uh, she, she doesn't have a name yet. They're, oh, okay. They're debating between three different names, which I really appreciate both her and her fiance, Miles. They were, they're very much like, well, we don't want to name her something that doesn't fit her. So they picked out a couple names they liked and now they're trying to just figure out which one fits her best.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, no names are permanent. Right. You can change a name anytime you want. Right. So don't let themselves, don't let them put too much stress on it. Because, I mean, it is what it is. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they feel a lot of stress. They're just kind of
1: like, these are the three that we're narrowing it down to. But that's cool. Auntie Brittany. Auntie Brittany. Again.
0: Again. Repeat Auntie Brittany.
1: Uh, also, if you look on that table right there, you'll see the cool thing that came in the mail today. Oh my God. Look at that. It is a cauldron. It's a cast iron cauldron.
0: I All have the a cast, way from England. I have a cast iron cauldron. It's not quite that big. And when I, so this if for it's th- not that big, nobody <laughs> guys, can see just, it. It's know. like a soup bowl size. Mine is like a teacup size. Uh, but yeah. it has fun fact. Mine was a gift, and it has that same exact symbol on it. <gasps> yep. So we have matching, not in size but in symbols, cauldrons. Aw, this is like yours is my baby. So you know how to like heat that right to heat ingredients in it I just got it like three hours ago came oh. In the mail. oh so nice. I haven't even looked into it mine is the perfect size for a tea light but basically if you get a good base you could put a candle under it and it'll be really helpful it, rather than trying to like stick it on a fire and burn yourself that would be great not to burn myself
1: <laughs> yeah so so I, I now have a cauldron and I'm very excited about it so
0: and as much as you might want to like Turn it into something big and, like, make it into a whole thing. You know what else is great? What? Just putting really good smelly shit in it and burning shit in your smelly cauldron and making it smell yes. amazing in places.
1: Yes. I love that. Like a like a little incense.
0: Yep. Like a, what's, what's the thing that you do on the stove? You put liquid and various herbs on the stove and it makes your whole house smell good. It's a thing that people do. It makes like. Like like the cl- like the a cleansing thing? Well, it can be cleansing and sometimes people just do it because it smells good. Like people will put, you know, water with apples lemons. and lemons yeah. and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, just, it's just good vibes. Good vibes. Yeah. Make everything good vibes with that beautiful, beautiful cauldron. Oh, I'm so excited. Jesus, fucker's heavy. Never mind. <laughs> it is pretty heavy. <laughs> well, it's cast iron cast cauldron. Cast iron. There you go. <laughs>
1: Well, I am a I suppose we should probably crack on into it. Oh yeah. Cuz we've been talking for a while and I have no idea what your story is.
0: So, give it give it to me. So, this week I have a story that's a little less spooky. Okay. It's more of an interesting mystery that I've had on my list oh. for quite some time. Oh. Okay. It's transportation.
1: So, you it fits love my theme,
0: vehicles. It's about a ghost ship. A
1: ghost ship. Okay.
0: I've never covered a ship. I've covered trains and automobiles. And buses. And buses, but never a ship. Now, there are a few things that come to mind when you think of ghost ship. Most notably for me is the 2002 American Supernatural horror film directed by Steve Beck, Ghost Ship. Uh, that is actually one of my
1: go-to films when I can't decide
0: what I want to watch.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's a good horror film. It's a good horror film.
0: Some people also think of like you know the Flying Dutchman's ship from SpongeBob SquarePants. I would I would have thought from Pirates of the Caribbean, but okay, I guess yeah I, I forgot about the Pirates of the Caribbean, which <laughs> I, is what I, I assume Sponge SpongeBob Bob was referencing. Was, yeah, SpongeBob was my go-to. <laughs> but a ghost ship, kind of like a ghost town, doesn't need to involve actual ghosts. It can be a kind of like like ghost towns from the Gold Rush days.
1: Oh, yeah, a ghost town, and
0: they just—they don't have anyone there. Yep, so a ghost ship, also known as a phantom ship, is a vessel with no living crew aboard. It's abandoned. Before we go any further, shout out to Smithsonian Magazine, Mm -hmm. because that's where I got a lot of my information for this story. Okay. So, while sailing on the rough seas in December of 1872, a British ship named De Gratia saw something in the distance. Once they got a little closer, they could see that it was the Mary Celeste, a ship that had left New York City eight days prior to De Gradia's departure. And it should have already reached its destination in Genoa, Italy by this point.
1: Was the Mary Celeste the one
0: that was in Ghost Ship? I don't know. It's been a, it's been a while. I think at that point, I just like, I've seen it so many times that I, like my brain ignores names. <laughs> I just I know
1: that I've heard of the Mary Celeste and I can't remember if it's from Ghost Ship or perhaps it was from that X Files episode where I'm pretty sure Scully- it's the X
0: Files episode. Okay, it's not from Ghost Ship because uh, in Ghost Ship they discover a ocean liner that disappeared in 1962. This one disappeared in the 1800s. Oh, very different. Yes. So once the De Gradia got a little closer, they could see that it was the Mary Celeste that had left and they were supposed to be in Genoa, Italy. And the captain, David Morehouse, took action and started heading right towards the ship to see what was going on, why they weren't where they were supposed to be, and try to offer some help. Awesome. Morehouse sent a boarding party onto the ship and they found that below decks, the ship's charts had been thrown about. They were everywhere around the cabin. Crewmen's belongings were still in their quarters. The ship's only lifeboat was missing, and one of its two pumps had been disassembled. Okay. Three and a half feet of water, like seawater, was sloshing around in the ship's bottom. The cargo of 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol was still intact in its barrels, as well as the six-month supply of food and water. But there was nobody on board. No one to eat the, you know, the six-month supply. Not the captain, not a single crewman. Weird. There were supposed to be 10 people on board this ship seven crewmen, the captain, Benjamin Spooner Briggs, his wife, Sarah, and the couple's two year old daughter, Sophia. The ship had begun its voyage on November 7th, of 1872. It was a 282 ton ship. It was ready to travel for two weeks to reach the Azores. I don't know if I spelled that or if I pronounced that right. A Z O R E S. The ship's log, which was found in, you know, those quarters where everything was tossed about, Mm -hmm. had a last entry from 5 a.m. on November 25th. According to that entry, the Mary Celeste was within sight of the Azores Island of Santa Maria, some 500 miles from where the DeGradia would find it nine days later. What? Ten days later from when they spot it, they sailed the ship like the... The the Mary Celeste the the crewmen hopped onto that and then they were sailing it all oh, like okay. both ships. I couldn't find a good way to word that. They sailed both ships about eight eight hundred miles to Gibraltar, where the British Vice Admiralty Court convened a salvage hearing. A salvage hearing is basically where the court determines if the people who find a lost or abandoned ship are entitled to payment from the ships the insurance company. Mm, hmm. 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 Finders keepers. It wasn't an immediate payout because they suspected floul play, but after more than three months and a thorough investigation, they didn't find any evidence of shady stuff, and the salvagers received a payment, but not the full amount. They received like $46,000, which was only a small portion of what the ship was actually worth. Okay. That was basically saying, like, we didn't find any evidence of something shady, but we don't buy it fully. Right, because where did the people go? Right. They were insinuating that they thought the DeGradia crew might have been up to something. <sighs> suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't, don't, be, suspicious. Be, suspicious. don't, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Oh, sorry. All right. So, they couldn't find any Evidence? Evidence. Evidence. <laughs> I was stuck in that like guttural no me (laughs) ever dance. (laughs) They couldn't find any evidence of any foul play, so the question became what the fuck happened? I would like to know what happened. Naturally. Yeah. Stories of sea monsters. Oh. Became associated with the missing crew, as did explanations of waterspouts. Okay. Which uh For those listeners who may not know, if you're not near large bodies of water, water spouts are basically like a water tornado. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And then much later, much later, there were stories of alien abductions.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, because this is the 1800s. Obviously.
0: Okay. Here's some of the less probable and some disproven theories. Okay. In 1913, a diary appeared written by a certain Abel Fosdick, who claimed to be a friend of Captain Briggs and told how he had been secretly smuggled aboard the Mary Celeste to escape American police because they left from New York City. Right. According to Fosdick, this is what happened. Briggs made a bet with the crew that he could swim fully dressed and dove into the water to prove his point, prepared beforehand a small stage overlooking the sea so that his wife and the sailors could watch him do it. And then the stage collapsed, and a pack of starving sharks took care of the rest. Shit. Okay. That doesn't sound great. Also, doesn't seem very plausible. So, basically, the crew, the wife, everybody, like, were accidentally eaten. ended up in shark-infested waters, while oh, Fosdick, no. the only survival, was able to save himself by clinging to a beam until he reached the African coast. The, uh surprising thing is that there were readers that believed this. They were like, oh, yeah, no, that's totally what happened. That must be it. But then they did some research, figured out that nobody named Abel Fosdick had ever existed, and the news was created to sell a few extra copies of newspapers. Okay. That's mean. There is also a theory that suggested the crew could have become victims of ergot, which is a name for claviceps purpurea which is basically a mold. Okay, I was like
1: neither of these you're, that that second explanation as to what ergot was <laughs> didn't help at all.
0: So it's a fungus that infects bread on board and provokes an intoxication that leads to hallucinations. So it's a hallucinogenic mushroom basically. Oh, and they just all jumped right off. So in this case the theory being that the sailors may have abandoned ship in the throes of a hallucinate like hallucinogenic like bleh. isn't that what they blamed the Salem witch trials on or that got- that sounds familiar i feel like we might have covered that maybe a little bit in the salem i kind of think that we did basically this is a stretched out hypothesis it's not necessarily totally unbelievable you could go into some sort of hallucinogenic psychosis but the fact is that the crew that from the degradia that mm-hmm. Sailed the ship the eight hundred miles. Oh yeah, back they for were fine. They ate the six months worth of you know some of the six months worth of reserves, what? and they were all fine. Nobody was res- like reported any hallucinogenic activity.
1: Okay, so it, it is nice that that helps debunk that theory. However, I personally wouldn't want to eat the food from an
0: abandoned ship <laughs> just in case. They basically said they had no ill effects from the food they ate. So okay. By the way, y'all, I know I'm going through this fast and I'm, I've i had a long day, so if I'm misspeaking, I apologize. No worries. <laughs> Anne McGregor, who was a documentarian and they wrote and directed and produced The True Story of the Mary Celeste with funding from Smithsonian Magazine, um, she said, I love the idea of mysteries, but you should always revisit these things using knowledge that has since come to light. Saying, yeah, these were theories in the past, What can we do with that information and how is it relevant now? Right. Yeah. So she started her investigation in 2002 and decided to begin with what she could figure did not happen. Okay. So she's taking out the things that she's like, nah, fuck this. It doesn't work first. She immediately ruled out any stories of sea monsters, any stories of sharks, any stories of weird-ass fungus. She was like, no, none of this, that doesn't make any sense. Nothing travels here. Where do aliens fall on that? Well, I mean, this was 2002. I don't even know if the aliens were, like, some sources said aliens, but it's literally so, like, straight in or it wasn't even worth it. That's, like, this is people trying to come up with a reason to include aliens in something. That makes sense, yeah. And you know I love the idea of aliens, so I, I would do. include if I could. Everything that I read involved aliens, I was like, no, I'm not even throwing that in my story. It seems dumb. She's basically, she wasn't left of skeptic. She was straight up skeptic. Uh, okay, so.
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's true. She
0: doesn't even believe in mold. What's well, so not? I don't think that she, <laughs> I don't think that it was that she believed, him, that she didn't believe in mold. I think it was, the evidence was so right there that these other sailors also ate the bread, had no ill effects. Like yeah, there's for nothing. Yeah, 800 miles, you yep. think that. Yep. One rumor that ran about after the ship was discovered was that the crew members drank the alcohol on board and mutinied. Had a drunken mutiny. I thought it was industrial alcohol. I don't they that's like, I, it It said industrial alcohol, but everything that I was reading kept insinuating that these people might have drank the alcohol. People do weird things when they're alcoholics.
1: Yeah, but industrial alcohol, it, it'll, like, make you go blind. I'm it's only, poison. I'm only
0: reporting the story as I got it. Okay. What do you do with a drunken sailor? What do you do with a drunken sailor? What do you do with a drunken sailor? Early in the morning. You have a mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after interviewing Crewman's descendants, McGregor deemed that scenario unlikely. Another theory assumed that the alcohol vapors expanded in the heat near the islands and blew off the main hatch which would have led the crew to abandon the ship fearing that the ship would explode. Okay, see now that seems
1: like the most plausible of all of them.
0: Yep. But the McGregor but then McGregor notes that the boarding party found the main hatch secured and did not result smell any resulting fumes.
1: That's right, everything was in place.
0: Yeah. So That's a theory for why they would have abandoned the ship, but there's nothing backing that up based on what the finding crew found. Mm. According to the Smithsonian, nine of the 1,701 barrels in the hold were empty, but the empty nine had been recorded as being made of red oak, not white oak like the others. And apparently red oak is known to be more porous, so it's more likely to leak. Oh, okay. Okay. So, that would explain the missing alcohol in both of those previous theories. Right. The other idea being that maybe those nine, like, with the weather, which we'll talk about a little bit later, might have been knocked around and leaked because they were more porous. Okay. There's basically, there's no evidence that somebody drank it or that it evaporated because of the heat. Okay. Another rumor involved insurance fraud, like it's suspected by the investigators when the DeGradia... Crew brought it in for salvage. Daily Nautica reported that Captain Morehouse had dined with Captain Briggs in New York just before each of the men set sail. And apparently, Morehouse considered Briggs to be his friend.
1: Oh. So so Morehouse
0: was the captain of the DeGradia Briggs, captain of... The uh, Mary Celeste.
1: So he he just like rolled up on his friend's ship and was like, Where did you go?
0: So basically, English inspector Frederick Flood was the first to hypothesize that the disappearance with the crew was suspicious. With the knowledge that Morehouse and Briggs were friends, the inspector suspected that the two captains may have concocted a scheme to defraud the insurance company and split the profit earned from Mary uh, Celeste's eventual sale. Hmm. It sucks that they barely got anything for it. The whole salvage thing? Yeah. Per the laws of the sea, an abandoned ship belongs to the captain of whoever finds it, which is part of the whole ghost ship.
1: Yeah, I remember that part. They got the cute little tugboat.
0: The inspector then theorized that Briggs had killed his crew and hidden himself away in the cargo hold of the DeGradia so that Morehouse would find him, smuggle him aboard his ship, and then report the ship as found.
1: That is a very mean version of insurance
0: fraud. Flood's theory, however, is full of plot holes. Briggs had in fact held property shares in the ship. So he would gain nothing from an insurance fraud. Like he wouldn't he wouldn't gain more than he lost. The theory also failed to account for the fact that Briggs lost his wife and daughter in that I was going to say what happened to his his family. Yep. In 1935, Bella Lagosi fucking horror superstar, chef's kiss, amazing actor. He starred in a movie about the Mary Celeste called Phantom Ship, The Mystery of the Mary Celeste that kind of explored a bit more outlandish theory. Ghosts. Bella plays a crew member on the ship who has experienced a lot of trauma in his life. He saves the captain's wife from being assaulted by murdering the crewman who was about to assault her. Good for him. But the grief of killing someone is too much for him, and the rest is history. Spoiler and simplification alert. Eventually, everyone on the ship is either dead or disappeared, and Bella Lugosi's character's rage, like in his rage, he hits his head, mm-hmm. and then falls off the ship, and the ship is set adrift, completely abandoned. When it is found, there is no life aboard except for a black cat. Aww. Black cat, though. Uh, The movie is actually available for free on YouTube. What? Really? Yeah. What's it called again? It's uh it's called Phantom Ship. Phantom Ship. Yep. Okay. It's black and white. It's a movie from the 30s, but it's not a bad watch. It's only like an hour and some long. I watched it. It was I wasn't disappointed. Um I might post it actually in the Twin Ports Horse Society and maybe on our social media since it's free. Yeah, if it's there after this episode airs. Anyway, it's a theory but not one that was taken seriously. It was mostly just thrown around I think to build up press for the movie. Mm-hmm, hmm hmm McGregor did say, like, after doing all this research and recognizing that the movie existed, um, she said that the character may have been drawn from two German crewmen aboard the Mary Celeste, brothers Volkert and boy Lorenzen, who fell under suspicion because none of their personal possessions were found on the abandoned ship. Oh, like they uh, they took the money and run. Right, but... A Lorenzen descendant told McGregor that the pair had actually lost their gear in a shipwreck earlier that year. So they might have not had much gear to bring onto the ship, which explains why it wasn't found.
1: You know, I just, so this is the second time that you said that they've spoke to the descendants. And then based upon that, that's why they discounted that theory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would never be able to tell you whether or not my grandma lost something 37 years ago. Like, what? It,
0: it's one of those things where it's a very famous thing, so you'd assume that people are passing the stories down in their okay.
1: family. Okay.
0: And at that point, too, McGregor is quick to point out that there's no motive there. They would have, if they did abandon the ship, they're not getting any money. Right. Because they're not part of the salvage crew, and they had no um, shares invested in the ship like the captain did.
1: Unless they're just murderers.
0: But, again... They were this far out from sea. There's one lifeboat missing. Where were they going to go? I'm I'm not saying they survived. I'm just (laughs) saying that they tried it. So after ruling out what didn't happen, McGregor moved on to what might have happened. Okay. The most likely theory is that Captain Briggs ordered the crew to abandon the ship for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. So we can all agree that abandoning a big-ass ship in the middle of the ocean just to hope someone finds you and your crew in a little lifeboat in terrible weather is not a very smart idea, right?
1: No, I would definitely not
0: not vote for that option. So, it's not like the ship was sinking. It was in good enough shape to stay afloat between the last log and when the ship, like, the Made ship, it ship it that found port. them, yeah. found them. And the crew was able to sail it back some 800 miles to salvage it. right. And they were only missing the one lifeboat, and they were too far away in shitty-ass weather. Like, so it makes no sense to leave a more durable ship for a tiny little lifeboat. Right. So, McGregor interviewed descendants of Briggs, because the first thought being like, was Briggs, like, not responsible? Like, not a responsible human, that he would have caused his crew to do this?
1: Mm, mm, mm.
0: So apparently his life offers no clues into any foul play or any random reason that Briggs was just dip. Okay. Supposedly the captain was experienced and respected in shipping circles. And this is not just something like his family said. This is historically a fact. He was a well-respected captain. And there was no reason to believe that from any family, colleagues, or friends that he would do something irrational like that. So then the question becomes Was there a rational reason to abandon the ship? McGregor figured that if she could determine the precise spot where Briggs, his family, and crew like dipped out, she might be able to shed light on why. She knew from transcripts of the Mary Celeste log that there were, you know, six miles from within the side of blah, 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 blah. Right. Basically, She was trying to work backwards and create a path between the point of when they were last logged and where they were found.
1: Ugh, that's so hard to try and do that without, like, the information about the
0: ocean currents. So that's what I put next. At this point, McGregor launches into a bunch of technical stuff that I do do not understand involving water temperature, Mm -hmm. wind speeds, direction of current and wind, as well as stuff from general reports and reports from the International Comprehensive Ocean Atmosphere Data Set. This is a thing that literally for hundreds of years back, they have records of this. They don't abandon, like they don't ditch it.
1: Apparently it's massive. I guess I just didn't know when it started.
0: It's a lot. And it would be weird to read out loud on the podcast. They had a bunch listed, but I don't understand it. And I'm going to assume... A person not understanding it, reading it out loud, is just going to make it more confusing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a visual person. But what the conclusion came down to was that the captain would most likely order ship abandoned within sight of land. That's the idea. Uh, That is the most reasonable conclusion to draw. Since Santa Maria was the last land for hundreds of miles, it seems safe to assume that the Mary Celeste had been abandoned the morning of November 25th, where that last log was, Mm -hmm. after the log entry was written. Right. And the reason why was McGregor's conclusion was because Briggs thought he was closer to land than he was. Mm. Briggs was actually 120 miles west of where he thought he was, according to the log. Oh. Probably because of an inaccurate chrom- chronometer. Chrono- chronometer? Is that the- Chronometer? It's no, a ship thing. No one can see my it's, actions. It like measures distance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but by the captain's calculations in the log, he should have sighted land three days earlier than he actually did. Also, the weather sucked. Um, really rough waves and 35 knot winds. Fun fact, a knot is 1.5, 1.15 miles per hour.
1: Oh, that is good to know. I've I've never known the
0: Yep. So this would transition. mean it was about 40 mile per hour winds. So choppy water on the ocean, 40-mile-per-hour winds. And apparently the Mary Celeste had previously shipped coal. Okay. Which the dust and debris from coal could have fouled one of the pumps. Which, which is why would, they took it apart. Which would explain why they took that one pump apart. hmm And so McGregor put all this together thinking that maybe Briggs thought there was a chance his ship was going to sink. Because the pump was no longer pumping water out of the base of the ship there was terrible weather. Everything was horribly happening at once. He thought land was closer than it was and he was like instead of waiting until the last minute and hoping we don't sh- like sink, we're going to send everybody to land now. But he was over hence like this a is the idea time. of why He's he really would away. yeah. This is the idea of why he would have ordered his, you know, crew off the ship
1: and his family.
0: And his family, the whole the whole thing. It all makes sense, right? McGregor's theory, by no means, is universally accepted, but it makes sense. It at least lines up with the evidence, anyway. Like, you know, the dis- disassembled pump. Right. The, the coal causing it. Like, everything sounds right, in theory. In theory. So, why is this still something so mysterious? Why is this something, if this makes so much sense, why is this something I'm talking to you about now? Because it still doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Why don't we just accept that this happened? Well, part of the issue is that there was a series of unfortunate events that this ship experienced in its life before this terrible occurrence. What? It's like a a cursed ship? Kind of. The boat was originally christened the Amazon. Oh. But it dealt with so much misfortune that it had been given a new name after a series of mishaps. The first captain, Robert McKellen, fell ill and died. just, like that? like That was just one thing, but not on its own so creepy, but it's one aspect. Okay. On her maiden voyage, commanded by John Parker, the ship suffered large damage after running into a fishing dam off the sea. Mary Celeste required major repairs at the shipyard, and later, a fire broke out at that same shipyard. And this is when it was the Amazon? Yep. Okay. And so at that point, that terminated John Parker's command. During her first Atlantic crossing, she collided to the Straits of Dover with a masted ship. That ship sank, and Mary Celeste, once again, needed to be repaired massively. Yeah. When she returned to America, she ran aground off Cow Bay in Nova Scotia. Oh, dear. Once she was pulled off the rocks in Nova Scotia, she continued to change hands between owners, and no one made any profit. In fact, two sources of mine... Claimed that some of those owners, but that it changed and between went bankrupt after purchasing her. Okay. Finally, she was purchased by an American named James Winchester at a salvage auction for three thousand dollars, where she was renovated and then named the Mary Celeste.
1: Okay, changing the name of a cursed object doesn't make it not cursed anymore.
0: Yeah, but if you want to make that money. But no one was making that money. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He was—he thought nobody was making that money because of the ship name. So he was trying to. Oh, yep. so instead of a strong Amazon
1: warrior, he's like, let's call her the Mary Celeste and that'll make it
0: better. Pretty much. After the ship was recovered from this, you know, mysterious ghost ship incident, Mary Celeste would sail under different owners for 12 years before its last captain deliberately ran it aground in Haiti. As a part of an attempted insurance fraud. <gasps> so people are quick to assume it was more than just an unfortunate accident. When they realize how many other ship like issues it had. Yeah. Like before and after. So the idea being maybe it was a cursed ship. I think it sounds like a cursed ship. Something else aside from being cursed that ties it to our podcast. Is that it's more than just, more than just a cool unsolved mystery. It is also possibly an actual Ghost ship. Apparently, since that fateful end voyage, the ghostly image of the Mary Celeste has been seen floating around the sea on a number of different occasions by seafarers far and wide.
1: I think that's why I've heard of this before.
0: It has been seen on the Atlantic and it's been turned into one of those like spooky stories that people tell each other over a drink in the, you know, in the hull, not in the hull, but in the quarters, the crew quarters. You know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter how much we think we might know what happened, is it ghosty? Is it not ghosty? Is it, you know, cursed? Is it not cursed? The fact is, we will never fully know. Because oh, that just anybody really bugs me. <laughs> anybody that was involved in the actual disappearance is gone, has never been found again. So that is the mystery of Mary Celeste, the ghost ship.
1: That was a good one, Kayla. That was a good one. We haven't done any ghost ships. I I, I love a good ghost ship uh, based upon, you know, my love of the movie from, what was it, 2002? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, that was fantastic. I also think that it's cursed.
0: It was, I was so nervous about the story because I was like, man, there's just not a lot of supernatural evidence. But it just, it's weird. It's weird. It's a mystery. It's it, a weird mystery. It could be supernatural, though. So normally we rate our stories on a skeptic scale, paranormal, parabate uh-huh. five normal being one. I don't think this is a paranormal rating. What? Are you it's uh, cursed. That's paranormal. Okay. Okay, so are we so okay. So we're gonna rate it on a scale of how cursed it is. It's really cursed. So you're gonna give it like Uh, What if we were going to do like instead of paranormal, we're going to do like cursed to not cursed to not (laughs) cursed five being super hella cursed one being not at all cursed. This was just poor luck. I'm going to give it a four. On the cursed scale. I don't
1: think it's I don't think it's super hella cursed. I just think it's pretty cursed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would give it a I'd give it a three. Okay. A three just because I mean it is it does seem really unfortunately unlucky. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. McGregor's theories make sense.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't explain all the other stuff before and after.
0: That's why I'm going to give it a three instead okay. of a, like a later thing. If there weren't all those other things that happened to the ship before and after, I'd probably be like, straight up nerd ass. Exactly, exactly. But
1: alas, it's at least partially cursed. Most likely, <laughs> this is the conclusion that we've come to. What do you got for me this week? Well, I figured that it has been a minute since I went overseas, so I'm heading to the UK to tell you about Aston Hall. I've never heard of that. Considered to be one of the most haunted properties in the UK, but aren't they all? Uh, (laughs) Aston Hall is located in Birmingham, England. I think it was voted most haunted in like 2019, but I don't really think that you can like switch the most haunted year by year. Well,
0: some people can, apparently, because that's like half the lists we read about the American haunted locations. Most
1: haunted. (laughs)
0: It's like, it's this magazine's most haunted, but not this magazine or this. They all have most haunted, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So construction on the Jacobian Prodigy-style house began in 1618 using a design by the famous English architect, John Thorpe. Sir Thomas Holt, the hall's owner, had risen to status under King James I, so obviously... He needed a fancy ass house to show off his wealth and his rank. Well, duh. Enter Aston Hall, Sir Thomas Holt. Yeah, I keep wanting to say Holty, because isn't that Nate Nathan? Holt- Nate Holty. Yeah, yeah, because uh, <laughs> that's how it's spelled. But I believe it's Holt. So Sir Thomas Holt moved into the hall in 1631, and then in 1635, 17 years after it began, the construction was finally completed. So, a little bit about Sir Thomas Holt. He was not a nice dude, and he also had a lot of children. He had two wives, the first of whom died during the construction of the hall in 1627. Grace, his first wife, gave birth to 15 children.
0: Jesus!
1: Most of whom died young. Those of who did get the opportunity to grow up were his two sons, George the eldest and Edward as well as his two daughters, Grace and Mary Elizabeth.
0: That's too many kids.
1: 15.
0: I didn't <clears throat> I didn't find
1: out if maybe like childbirth was the reason why Grace died, but
0: I would not be surprised. What would that do to your body? I I like that you're like I didn't find out if childbirth was how she died. I'm like I don't know, was it between like The first child or the 15th child? That's too many children. Too
1: many children. Too many children. After the death of his first wife, Sir Thomas married Anne Littleton with the hopes that she would be able to provide him with a son so that he could permanently cut Edward out of the estate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I hate that's some uh, House of the Dragon shit. Like, I hate you so bad, I need another child. Just to cut you out because I don't want you you in this. I need to continue the family legacy, but I don't want you to do it, so I got to get somebody else to do it.
1: Exactly. So his oldest son, George, had already passed away, and Edward really pissed him off for marrying a woman that his father did not give permission to marry. And it's not even because she wasn't in good standing. She was actually the daughter of uh, the Bishop of London. But Sir Thomas was just being a cranky pants because Edward just went and did it. He didn't wait for approval. Um, apparently even the king was like, Thomas, buddy, she's a nice girl. Can't we all just get along? And Sir Thomas was like, no, he didn't ask for permission. Therefore,
0: cutting him out of the will. Okay. Were you a Gilmore Girls fan? I can't remember. Yes. It's very much like the Huntsberger family dinner where they found out that Logan was like calling Rory his girlfriend and they are like she's a fine girl the gilmores are fine but they don't have like huntsberger money like you 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 have to expect us to take this seriously you show up you're calling her your girlfriend we have to address this and they're like what the fuck and rory's like i'm a gilmore my family came over on the mayflot like this is the vibes it's giving me
1: yeah exactly Ex- except for again She is in well standing. He just wanted to be able to, like, pass judgment over all of his children's lives. And you're going to hear more of this in a little bit. Okay. All right. So, Sir Thomas, stubborn as all get out. And a dick. And he decided to just keep on trying for that other boy and then away with Edward. Yeah. But in the end, it didn't matter because Edward went off to serve in the military and ended up dying in 1643. Anne did give birth to another son however he did not survive past childhood
0: it's one of those things where it it, it's too many kids i know it's too many kids but i feel bad for all these kids
1: well only four of them lived into adulthood that's what i'm saying like this is terrible it's awful
0: it's not their fault that their dad's a
1: dick right dude it gets it gets worse So Grace, the eldest of the two girls, married and had seven surviving children. Emphasis on surviving, which is to say that she probably suffered a lot of loss, as did her mother before her. She ended up leaving Birmingham and eventually ended up in Dublin, probably to get away from her terrible father, who, in case you were wondering what happened to the second daughter, Mary Elizabeth, well... Oh. Sir Thomas Holt found out that Elizabeth had fallen in love with a servant boy And she wanted to marry him and they wanted to go and elope And mm-hmm. she wanted to do this instead of marrying the man that her dad picked out no, for her
0: I don't like where this is going
1: So for this defiance, Sir Thomas locked Mary Elizabeth in her room Where she went mad and died 16 years later
0: ah, I hate him
1: And there are a bunch of stories about Sir Thomas Holt's rage and how everyone was afraid of him, including one that claimed that in one of his rage fits, he murdered his cook with a meat cleaver by chopping his head in half. But locking away his daughter for 16 years just because she won't marry some dude that she doesn't even like. Like I said, he is not a nice dude. We do not like Sir Thomas Holt.
0: Yeah, you said it in the nice way. Like, we don't like him. I'm like... I, I, I want to chop his head in half with a meat cleaver. Yeah, he well, he deserved it. Yeah. Oh, it gets
1: worse. Okay, so Sir Thomas died in December of 1654, after which he was buried in the Aston Church. But before he died, he bequeathed Aston Hall to his grandson, Robert Holt, who was Edward's son. Because although he shunned Edward for his marriage choices, he couldn't possibly leave his worldly possessions to the women, his wife Anne and his daughter Grace.
0: Of course, of of course.
1: Aston Hall remained in the Holt family until the 1800s when it was sold in 1818 by the husband of the last of Sir Thomas's descendants to clear a £55,000 debt. It was purchased by a firm of Warwick Bankers and leased to James Watt Jr., son of James Watt, who was instrumental in the Industrial Revolution both in Great Britain as well as in the Americas. James Watt Jr. lived in the house until 1848. There were then several owners of Aston Hall between then and 1858, when it was purchased by Aston Hall and Park Company LDT for the purpose of using the property as a public park and museum. However, due to financial difficulties, they were forced to sell just six years later. In 1864, the Birmingham Corporation purchased the house, so now the city owned it, uh, which worked out. Because then, in 1874, a fire hit the Municipal Public Library and the Birmingham and Midland Institute, and then Aston Hall was used to house the saved collections of art and the Museum of Arms up until the mid-1880s.
0: A museum of arms. It's just filled with arms. Biceps. Long arms. Triceps. Elbows. Short arms. Wrists. No hands. Only arms. (laughs) Um
1: yeah. Museum of Arms, obviously. I mean, I get it.
0: <laughs> like it's like the right to bear arms, you have a right to have the arms of a bear. I get it.
1: <laughs> Do you think there are bear arms here? Yes. All all different kinds of arms. All types of different bear arms, Kodiak, grizzly, polar bear, black bear. Polar bear would be really hard to find if you were in the 1800s. That's in what England. I'm that's what I'm saying. I mean, that makes sense as to why they had a whole museum for
0: them. Okay, for our listeners, I'm not this dumb. I know what it means. I just hate the idea of just a museum full of arms. Elbows. (laughs) Triceps. (laughs) No shoulders. No no hands. only Only arms.
1: After a battle of sorts between Aston Hall and Perry Hall as to who would receive the limited funding that the Birmingham Corporation had, Aston Hall won out, and in 1927, a whole redo of the property began. By 1934, the go... Uh, uh, I should do that during the live episodes. Hence, <laughs> <laughs> the song of my people. <laughs> the confused. <laughs> uh, by 1934, the gardens were complete with fountains, terracing, planted trees and symmetrical designs these gardens actually still exist today so it's actually supposed to be super pretty. Aston Hall went on to be a popular museum and visitor attraction the house now features period rooms with quote stunning furniture recreated interiors and paintings from the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery unquote. There was another round of renovations that happened in 2006 to 2009 and now Aston Hall is fully open during the summer months with specialty events during the rest of the year. It was purchased in 2012 by the Birmingham Museums Trust and as far as I can tell continues to be run by them to this day. It is likely not surprising to those of us who read, listen and watch many a ghost story That when you have not only a very old house like Aston Hall, but you hear that the owners were a particularly cruel bunch, like Sir Thomas Holt was, it's not hard to believe that you would end up with some sort of haunting. And it's even less surprising that one of those ghosts would be that of his daughter, Mary Elizabeth, who was locked away for 16 years just for falling in love with a servant. (sighs) Known as the Grey Lady, Mary is now seen as a ghostly figure who glides along the upper floors of Astor Hall. I do have a video, a TikTok, to show you. Okay, I'm ready. You might have to come closer to my screen. Okay. (laughs) We'll we'll share that on our social
0: media. So, that was... uh, so, I'm overly critical of evidence of, like, haunting activities. No, I agree. There's, like, things that I'm like, oh, how would... But the fact is, you could hear every creaking footstep of right. him walking up the stairs. Yeah. Which makes me think that it's a creaky house. I mean, and, it's old. Yeah, and then that person moved quickly across whatever was behind that doorway. Right. Moved quickly across the floor, and I did not hear... No sound. The sound that would be associated with somebody moving that quickly across creaky floorboards. Right, it'd be running. Yep. So it's not that I necessarily believe it, but if that is faked, it's very convincing. It's Yes. Yes. It's obviously edited because,
1: yes, there is no sound made by the person who runs across that door. Yep. Uh, Another spirit that you might find in the house is that of a little servant boy named Dick Garrett. As the story goes, Dick stole a piece of bread from the kitchen. His crime was discovered, and he was locked in the attic, which was the servants' quarters at the time, until his master, Sir Thomas Holt, came home, so that he could decide what the child's punishment should be. I'm guessing it wasn't good because he was a dick. Well, the, the child's name was Dick, so no. now it's getting confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know what I meant. I know. So Sir Thomas's temper was infamous at this point mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so fearing what the punishment would be bestowed upon him dick garrett hanged himself in the attic which is where his spirit oh. remains to this day how awful must you be where your child is so afraid of you that they choose to unalive themselves just so that you can't get to them first oh my god Another ghost that you can find in the hall is that of the murdered cook, who Sir Thomas took, uh, took it upon himself to punish for his poor performance. Afterward, using his power and influence as a, as a fancy-pants fancy man to clear his name of all murder charges, and you're likely to find the cook in, unsurprisingly, the kitchen.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: Finally, the last of the ghosts, and by last of them, I mean of the most frequently seen ghosts, is the Green Lady, Believed to be a former housekeeper named Mrs. Walker, she is seen wearing a green dress, a very distinctive green dress, sitting in a chair in either both the Great Hall as well as the housekeeper's living quarters. And that
0: is the story of Aston Hall. Wow. Okay, so the, the, main, the main evil man, Sir Thomas Holt. Sir Thomas Holt. Fucking terrible. Terrible. He's awful. There's a character, an angel named Holt. He's from like, I think like the 1800s. Is
1: that the guy who hunts him?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And some part of me like just keep, you say Holt and that's what my brain connects it to. But he was also just that much of a dick. Yes. So my brain like wants to connect. That's the image in my head that I have.
1: Oh, he was so terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. It's, imagine
0: what it was like being married to the guy. And that's what, like, my brain keeps going back to 15 kids. 15. But okay, so there's a number of reasons why you may not be able to complete a pregnancy or your children might not be able to survive after a birth. Mm-hmm. There's so many things as a factor. But my brain immediately goes to after seeing what my friends and family have had to go to to have to be pregnant and have kids. Right. Like, there's no way that this man was a nourishing and providing partner to let a person have a successful pregnancy and or let their children have a thriving life after their birth. No. So, like, there's—I have to believe that him being such a terrible person is a tie-in to why all this other shit happened.
1: It sounds like, based upon the birth or the death dates, based upon what I know about his four children— who, who survived into some sort of an adulthood. Mm-hmm. It seems as if they were probably born, like, one after another, very, like, in quick succession. Mm-hmm. And I assume that a lot of children's lives were lost because of how rapidly she continued to have
0: to get pregnant. Oh. Oh, oh so rough.
1: Yeah, and I'm guessing that wasn't really her choice.
0: With the absolute... Malice and anger of this main man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this a four on the skeptic scale. I'm going to believe that, like, I'm going to give it a four of hauntedness. There's no way that that much anger and hideousness could, like, exist without there being some sort of residual haunting, either from him or from the people that had to suffer underneath him.
1: Right. All that, ugh, just the bad vibes. shitty man energy. Yeah, yep. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.75, just because I like to be different.
0: I want to be different. I want to be different. So I don't have a listener story this week, but I do have a listener request. Okay. And I can't remember if I covered it or not. Okay. So I'm going to tell you it. You tell me if it sounds familiar. All right. All right. Have you ever heard of the Bloody Bride Bridge? Yes. In Stevens Point, Wisconsin? I don't know. Okay, listeners, if I've covered this before, I apologize. I didn't see it on our list, but I might have covered it covered it in the past. But I had a request, an anonymous request to cover it. And so they 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 fully admitted that they've only been listening for the past few months. Mm -hmm. And they live near this. Oh, okay. So they asked me to cover it and I was like, okay, I'll do the research. And as I was reading it, it was like, it sounds familiar, but I can't remember if it sounds familiar because I've looked it up before or if it's familiar just because I've heard of it before.
1: (laughs) Well, I, what I'm thinking of where this coming from is not from Wisconsin. It's one of those things like ladies in white. Yeah. Like I bet bloody bride bridge. I bet there's so many of
0: them. Anyway, when I looked it up after the request, it was not enough to cover a full portion of an episode, so I just said I'd cover a little bit of it at the end. I love that. Yeah, let's do it. It's in place of a listener story. We've got a listener request for a small section on the Bloody Bride Bridge in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Stevens Point is located in Portage County, and it has a population of almost 28,000 people, which makes it the largest city in that county. Okay. If that's not enough to help figure out where it is, it's about 90 miles west of Green Bay, which if you're from Wisconsin, apparently that's the big like location point. Like not just like it's not here, it's it's this far away from Green Bay. It's football thing. Apparently everybody knows where that is. Knows where that is. I don't know. <laughs> um Highway 66 in Stevens Point has a set of three bridges. The red bridge on Casimir Road the Black Bridge, and the Final Bridge, which is known to locals as Bloody Bride Bridge. According to legend, a bride-to-be was killed in a car accident on her wedding night and continues to haunt that stretch of road. She is sometimes seen along with her ghostly groom, and they apparently appear in the back seat of any car parked on the bridge at midnight. Oh. The first encounter of the ghostly woman was by a police officer, who thought that he had hit the woman. Like, so she appeared on the bridge, he was driving, and he thought he had hit her, so he stopped on the bridge. He got out of his car to investigate, found nothing. So he he was like, okay, well, I guess that must have been my imagination, and he hopped back in his car. But when he reentered his vehicle, he locked eyes with a woman in his back seat. That was reported officially to the police, and since that encounter, the bride is said to haunt all three bridges. Oh. Okay. Especially late at night and during the winter months. Hmm. Since all three bridges are popular for fishing, fishermen on the waters late at night often have experiences with the bride. And many local residents have their own story about the location. Passing through this location during the day is encounter free, but just be careful if you're deciding to drive at night. Despite reports of a bloody woman in white appearing in the middle of the road where if you encounter her and stop because you thought you've hit her right and then get back into your car like the the reports are all similar to what the policeman encountered basically you'll see a person in white looking bloody you'll almost hit her you'll stop you'll get out of the car and then she'll be in your back seat no thanks no record has ever been found that shows a woman actually died there that's usually how that goes And according to the Stevens Point Police Department, the incident with the police never officially happened. Of course not. Of course not. That doesn't stop locals from passing on the legend, of course, and it remains a popular spot to visit around Halloween. So if you have a fondness for folklore and uh, nerves of steel, consider paying a visit to Stevens Point's Bloody Bride Bridge or any of the other two bridges at midnight and let us know if you receive any uh, hitchhikers from beyond. That sounds so familiar. Right, and that's I can't tell if it's something I've covered. So if I covered this in the past, I'm sorry, but it was a request, so I wanted well, to throw it out there, but I feel I can't like I tell, covered it. But I can't Well, you had the bridge in Vermont. Is that there was a bride on that bridge as well? There was somebody on that bridge. Okay. But but Stephen's point Stephen's point, this is Wisconsin, this is Midwest, this is not that far away.
1: It all sounds so familiar, and the three bridges.
0: Right. So that's why I'm saying. I don't know if we've covered this before. Oh my gosh. Please,
1: listeners, let us know,
0: because we are going to go batty. We are without. almost two years into this bitch, <laughs> and I cannot be expected to remember everything I've said. No. No.
1: <laughs> Usually I forget at the moment when we're done.
0: But to our anonymous Wisconsinite listener. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, if you go back and you keep listening to past episodes and find that I've covered it in the past, I'm sorry for repeating myself.
1: Yeah, or maybe maybe there's more information. I don't know.
0: <laughs> if you have a listener story or a listener request or anything you want to share with us, you can do so by visiting our website, www.leftofskeptic.com and clicking the listener stories tab on the top of the page. You can also email us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com or visit the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous like our listener did today, Mm -hmm. or include your name, whatever you'd prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. We don't ever want to misgender somebody.
1: You can also find us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and as of right now, Twitter, uh, Uh, at Left of Skeptic, as well as uh, Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast.
0: Yeah, um... If, if you really, if you follow us on Twitter and you want us to keep doing that, let us know. Because otherwise I am so ready to get rid of my shit.
1: I just don't understand why I have to give up Twitter because Elon Musk is a terrible person. Because it's terrible.
0: <sighs> anyway. Anyway. All right. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening this week. We love you and appreciate you. And yes, as we do. for all of our new listeners... Um. Like, I mean, I know it might seem a little soon to say I love you, but I do love you. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, you don't want to rush into this stuff. It's emotions. It's, you know, it, like, but it's not like you're in love with them.
1: You can still love someone super easily without like getting at, a little too head over heels. Look at Britney
0: with that emotional matru- maturity over there. Look yeah. at that. Uh, yeah. We love you. We love you. Happy Spooky Wednesday.
1: Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. okay. Bye. (laughs) The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye. is not you know i wrote this sentence and thought will that be confusing to say (laughs) no it'll be fine (laughs) uh it is likely not surprising to those of us who read listen and watch many a ghost story